music, news, interviews, live events, and more. Welcome to the Hivecast with Matt Pinfield. Hey, it's Matt Pinfield. I'm here with Andrew WK, and it's the Hivecast. Andrew, just recently this summer, celebrated the 10th anniversary of I Get Wet, which is what a great record. And I remember the first time someone brought me, I guess, demo stuff. Um, do you, know, you know Dave Becky, right? You know the yes. Wow. Now, now that's going to bring back memories for you. Dave Becky, you know, manages Louis C.K. Now, the comedian managed Chris Rock. I think he still manages Chris Rock. He, I, I remember that he always had managed Chris Rock, uh, who's had a long and illustrious career. But the fact that you've told me he's doing Louis C.K. That's amazing. Yeah, it is. He's. I didn't know that. Dave's doing incredible. Um, and he, um, I'm the only non comic he ever managed you know because well you're yeah. pretty comedic yeah well i was gonna say people some people find me comical there but, is comedic value yes but uh what was really funny about dave was he was such a great guy he loved music so much that uh when i first signed on an mtv back in those years i was like where do i sign you know because mm. i was on the jersey shore doing radio and i wanted the opportunity to you know to work here and, and work in the programming department program music yes so um you know, so it was that kind of thing. So when I left to do that farm club show in L.A., Dave was the guy who I went to said, Dave, you got to help me here. I've never had a manager. All right, I'll manage you for now. So he did. And then fast forward a little bit, he tells me there's this artist, man, that's amazing that I love named Andrew W.K. And uh, I don't know, was he the guy who gave the demo to Louis Largent who signed you or was it someone else? No, he might as well have been. Uh, I think actually Matt Sweeney is the one that uh, gave that. But Matt Sweeney is a very good friend of Dave Becky. Yeah. And of uh, Louis Largent at this point. And uh, it's amazing, actually, because I'm remembering now the last time I spoke with Dave, and it, I called him to see if he had Jim Steinman's phone number. And he did. Dave did? That's he amazing. did. Yeah. He did, because he's friends, he's friends with everybody, like you're he saying. Um, and, and not just everybody. I'd say more like the coolest people in the world. Like, yeah. You know, Chris Rock, is uh, that's a good example. Uh, Louis C.K., obviously, that's a good example. But yeah. beyond that, he's also friends with Jim Steinman. And yeah. <laughs> he actually gave me his, he gave me a phone number. And this yeah. was probably 2005. I wanted to reach out to Jim. I had met him earlier, like 2003, 2002 maybe. Yes. When we played a show uh, at the Roxy here it, in New York. Yeah. The, the New York Roxy. Yeah. yeah, I was going to say, I was thinking about the one on Sunset Boulevard. Yes. No, not the L.A. one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the New York Roxy. And uh, Jim and I went out for uh, for dinner that night uh, with Louis Largent. Yeah. And uh, we had Meatloaf. Who, who of course. To eat. Yes. Yeah, to eat. No, no. he <laughs> Yeah, Meatloaf wasn't there. And for those people who are listening, I'm sure mo- most of you know that Jim Steinman, uh, you know, wrote all those songs uh, for Meatloaf, written hits for, like uh, for Bonnie Tyler and Celine Dion, tons of people. Jim Steinman is one of the great American uh, 20th century songwriters. You know, Bad Out of Hell was his record. You know, it's funny, uh, Andrew, I met him finally. I hosted the press conference for Bad Out of Hell 3. You did? I got a call from Meatloaf oh, saying, hey, would goodness. you do this? And it was at the old limelight. Martin a day, right? And, and I was thinking to myself going in that old limelight, man, did I get effed up here many a time? Well, in a oh, sacred yes. place. That's a sacred place. <laughs> it is. It's a church. And there's and a great uh, documentary now. About uh, the limelight. Did you see that? I saw one. Is that the one that's about Peter Gershon, the, the guy who ran it? Yes, I saw it's that. about Peter, and it's it, you know it's called the, the movie is about the limelight. It's his story, yeah. But also everybody that walked into that place and explored that legendary era. I mean, that yeah. was a very strange part of uh, New York nightclub history. Yeah, it really was. I remember like they would have their alternate Grammys called the Nammies. I hosted for them a few times back in the day, and yes. Uh, Michael Alleg was there. You'd see him and his friends partying through the in that one room, like the dine, the room with the giant dining table. Yes, and you walk in from the <laughs> that place. was like you know, like yeah. the Last Supper, right? That was the vibe. Yeah, and I, I finally saw Party Monster, um, which I hadn't seen. Uh, Macaulay Culkin, yeah, playing, is playing Michael. Michael. Yeah, yeah. And I actually I had seen was in the airport in London. Uh, I was in the immigration line yeah. uh, in London, and I saw this young man. Yeah, who looked very familiar, and it turned out it was Macaulay Culkin. And this was only maybe three years after he had made that movie. And uh, it's a very strange movie. That's what I will say. Yeah. Party Monster, you'll never see another movie like it. It was a strange film. And the documentaries on on Michael Alligator are out there, too. There's some pretty crazy ones. It's not a happy happy story, but my story is happy when it comes to Jim Steinman because uh, 
you know, Dave Becky actually did give me his number, and it wasn't uh, his proper phone number. It was the phone, if you live, like, in a hotel building. Now, uh, Jim Steinman at this point was living in the Trump Tower. That's on Columbus Circle. Yeah. Right? This is a- He um, made a lot of money off those bat out of hell and he total did. eclipse of the heart and all that stuff. <laughs> he did, and he put it to good use. <laughs> yeah. He put it to good use. He was living, basically living in a hotel, but as a long-term resident- and uh, if you've ever seen Columbus Circle, the Trump Tower is hard to miss. It's a big black glass building right on the north side of Columbus Circle. Um, this was the phone that rang in his closet. It was like the, uh, I guess, like the like housekeeping. The bat phone? It was like the housekeeping phone. <laughs> okay, yeah. yeah. It was like the bat phone, the bat <laughs> yeah. in hell. Yeah. Like when you're in hell, this phone rings. So you were at his place and that's what you... Uh, you no, I called, I, I just called this number. This was one of those moments where it's almost like, you know, when you're dating... <laughs> Or you're trying to meet a girl, yeah, and you get this number, and you can't believe like she's gonna pick up. I couldn't believe that I was calling Jim Steinman, and uh, he answered, and then we uh, built a friendship. You know, he remembered that we had gone out for uh, that meatloaf dinner, actually at cafeteria. Oh wow, you know that place, right? Yes, of course. Open late. You uh, mean but, in L.A. or here? No, here. Oh, here. yeah, cafeteria downtown. Yeah. That's right. That's it's right. It's very metallic looking inside. It is. Like it's this. very modern. But uh, Jim actually did. Again, request the meatloaf, which I thought yeah. was uh, so poignant. I thought that was perfect. Well, listen, meatloaf made him a lot of money, and he, in <laughs> turn, is him as well. No, well, he did. He did. That's the best, you know, As that, he's the Cole Porter of our time. You know, I, I, met, I finally got to meet Todd Rundgren when he uh, came for that press conference, too. Of course, having been involved with those records and, and who, came in from Hawaii. It's not just that he, he produced them and did a fantastic job. It's not just that he played guitar on those records and played the best guitar. Todd Rundgren had the nerve had the courage to support the vision. Yeah. To actually buy into the vision. He's it, a, you know, he's done he's done a lot of great records over the years. He has incredible. You know, he, His own, you know, producing everyone from psychedelic furs to the pursuit of happiness and everyone in between XTC, you know. Yeah, well done that. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. It was that confidence that he had. And uh I talked to <laughs> Jim about him on those phone calls I had with Jim Steinman. He said, Oh, no one's more cruel more harsh, more intense than Todd Rundgren. Because he's so talented. Yeah, and that basically he w- he doesn't suffer fools gladly. Or he <laughs> that's, that's, that's a nice way of putting it. That's a nice way. He, he you know, he yeah. has he has very little patience for anyone yeah. who is not a genius, basically. And that's why he has worked with the best of the best of the best and made those people rise to his level, which is that prodigy. You know, he's a he's a prodigy. And he's spoiled by his own talent. Yeah. As he should be. What was the outcome of the relationship with Jim Steinman? Friendship? Work? I mean, uh, the last time I saw him uh, was at Joe's Pub. Yeah. And uh, a guy named, uh, oh, geez, Evan Evan Stone. (laughs) I don't think it was Evan Stone. I think Evan Stone's the name of a porn actor. Yeah. You know, oh, I think so too. I, you know, I'm, not like you and I have overwatched porn, of course, but um, no, 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 not, not together. Us. Yes, not together at least. No, no, separately, separately. Evan Stone, there you go. I oh. like you know Evan Stone, the actor uh, in, in adult films. I actually am not a big fan of him. Uh, his his genitalia is bent. Yes, and it's not that appealing. But it. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That was you, the last you ever, time I'm sure I saw. you've been speaking of going through immigration lines and being at customs, or just even being in like you know lines for security at airports. That's sitting at the Burbank airport and yes. having a bunch of porn stars come up to me and go, hey, Matt, you know, and then they trying, to remember, know you, trying right? to remember how I know them and then realizing how I knew them. Oh, no. Yes. Oh, no. Yes, oh, yes. Matt, have you had nights that you don't remember? Many from okay, okay. Uh, from from so from uh, some, some blind alcohol <laughs> evenings. I must admit, yeah, I, I would be better. lying to say anything else. Well, you know, when I woke up today, <laughs> my wife woke me up and yeah. and, and kind of shook me. Yeah, and God bless her heart, Sherry. You know, Sherry Lilly is my wife, and I'm just very fortunate to be in the same room with her, let alone be married to her. And and she shook me and she said. He got that thing at 12. I said, holy smokes, that's Matt Penfield. I can't be late for that. So, yeah. <laughs> But uh, then she said, like, where were you last night? And uh, you got home at 4.30 in the morning. I, for the, were you at your bar sandals party house? No, I wasn't, actually. Um, for the, the first five minutes after she asked me that question, I could not remember exactly. Oh, I've, I've woken up and, like, 
not remembered where I was at the end of the evening, and then just found vinyl everywhere. Like you know, oh, uh, that's good. You know, like vinyl everywhere on the floor. Vinyl pants, vinyl shirts. No, vinyls. I meant vinyl records. Like, oh, like <laughs> on the stove, in the stove. I mean, they're everywhere. We're cooking up vinyl. <laughs> <Yes>. We're cooking <laughs> up vinyl. Put it in the microwave. Oh, see what you happens. know what. You, lo- you know, your loved ones don't always laugh about things like that, but you know how it goes. I know, I know. And you do, Matt. And that's yeah. <laughs> why it's such a pleasure to be with you because you are, uh, you know, you're a legend and you've worked very hard for it and you deserve it. You know what? We have so much fun together, Andrew, and I think you're fantastic to do stuff with. I love it. We've had so much fun on the air over the years doing different things, whether it be TV or radio, now here on this podcast. I got I to gotta go back in time a little bit Please. here and talk about uh, this record because we started talking about it. And once again... Dave Becky, what a great guy! Yeah, um, turned me on to this, and then Lewis <laughs> signed it and said, I, "You know, it was Lewis loved and believed in you in he such did. a big way, and he still did. does." And I love the fact that you put out this special edition of the record because it's got all these bonus tracks. There's live stuff on there. There's some other versions. Is there anything that ended up on your first record that you did before you went under the name Andrew WK and Room to Breathe? Was that record? Well, Room to Breathe. The fact that you even are familiar with that because that was a cassette tape. Yeah that uh, my friend and I released in Michigan when I was uh, 17 years old and doing uh, sort of uh, almost like vandalism performance. I was going uh, and building sculptures on the side of the road that would then get torn down by the, the police. That is the era of Room to Breathe. And Matt, your, your erudite scholarly pursuit of the big story even when it's very, in, uh, you know, insignificant. Yeah. Like well, some, yeah, you know, I know. But it's an interesting place to start. Well, because... I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, I do, I do. Uh, on this album, I Get Wet, the special 10th anniversary edition. Uh, it does have this, uh, if you're buying vinyl, it does have a second disc, a second LP. And if you're buying the CD, yeah. that, that second CD, uh, it's, it's going to have a lot of bonus tracks. There are live tracks, yeah, which we recorded uh, during the tour, but you brought up, there's these other tracks that are uh, these early versions that are, um, you know, like 1999 versions. They're actually, people said like, oh, are those demos? They're not demos. They're the actual structure of the song. They are the uh, like the, the skeleton of the yeah. song. And we overdubbed onto those. That's the thing. People think, oh, like, you make a demo. This is a great song. Then you re-record it. No, you can build upon that. People do that more than ever now, too. I Especially, mean, with, right. With because they, have the, they can record at home. Yes. We've got all the programs from Pro Tools to many others that are kind of like Pro Tools. That's right. And they can record in their homes. That's right. So why would you <laughs> throw away that inspiration? Why would you, you know, get rid of that core? That core of that original song, uh, the first time you recorded it, you can maintain that. You can hold on to that, seize that, and uh, you know, stack up the rest of the sounds on top of that. Yeah, I mean, and I think it's that's what I loved about the first record to begin with. Why we're so excited about it was it was a real wall of sound. There was a lot of stacking. <laughs> yes, <laughs> we stack. That's the thing. You know, people that, that hear those songs, they they think, oh, there's you know, I recognize this sound or that sound. Did you record it uh, over that? And I said, yes, very literally. They are stacked up until you can't hear anything, and uh, that's a real wall of sound. Obliterate personality. Obliterate performance obliterate uh, any sense of of reality. Yeah. And that's what I would like to get to. I'm trying to obliterate myself. Well, I, let's go back to, I mean, literally right after that album came out. I mean, you were touring, you were doing a lot of other things. But one of the things a few years ago that you started doing that blew me away, remember we, you and I talked about this, was when you started doing the self-help motivational speaking. Yes. And you were speaking on the college circuit. You were invited to Yale, NYU, tons of great colleges. And did you start in Michigan where you were from originally too? or where did That's you- true, yes. I did get to, uh, I did a screening of a, uh, a live concert movie that I had made and then also did a lecture at Ann Arbor at U of M where my dad teaches. He teaches at University of Michigan. I didn't know that. Yeah, he's a law professor. So did someone come up to you at that point and say, you should really be speaking at other schools, or was it something that you pursued? I thought it was great. Well, yeah, you know, thanks for asking. Uh, New York University, I got to give them credit. They were the first ones who presented this idea to me. And that's, uh, you know, that's the way the world works. If you're open to it, sometimes people present their destiny to you. Yes. And it becomes your destiny. And if you have the, the, the well... I was going to say the nerve or the courage to seize their destiny, but I was going to say now the foolishness 
to seize their destiny. It's that fear. It's a foolishness and a fearlessness, and I think that's what's cool about it. Is giving, well said. You know, well said, Matt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's true. It's being able to do this and saying, "Hey, this is not that far out of out of my reach or out of the box for me." It may seem to be, but this is something I should be doing. And it's so. Tell me some of the things and the principles you were talking about. Like, I mean, if you had to give me a brief outline of you know, your self help thing, I would hope that it lines up to your story, Matt. I'm I'm trying to encourage myself most of all, and people that can relate to this headspace to go and go and go and go for more. This is our time. This is our life. You're like writing your own movie. You're writing your own uh, you know, autobiography as you live it. And you don't want it to be boring. So you got to seize those moments, those strange chances when the when destiny comes to you and it seems completely insane and completely crazy and everybody else tells you, don't do it, don't do it, like don't move to New York, as I did, then you got to do it. That's how you can tell it's the right thing to do. Yeah. Because and people say, well, you can't do that. You shouldn't do that. Exactly. That's what you got to do. Yeah. The crazier it is, that's uh, that's a good sign. That's a good sign. Now, not, not when it hurts someone else, uh, you know, very directly. You got to try to, you know, manage that impulse. Uh but it's the combination of, of your own will pushing you, your own desires inspiring you and pushing you, and then your own destiny pulling you. And if yeah. you can line those up, that push and that pull, then you're in good shape. Yeah. Now tell me about the My Little Pony convention, because oh, that geez. blows my mind. I heard about that. Tell me about it. Well, <sighs> my daughter was a big fan of My Little Pony. <laughs> How old is she? No, years ago. Now she's 12, 13. She's now into other things like fun. She doesn't like it anymore? Well, I think she probably appreciates it, but now she watches, I'm sure, Disney, Nickelodeon. Disney, Disney. And you, and we'll get into that next, which is the Cartoon Network stuff. But I wanted to, tell me about the My Little Pony thing. Well, I was invited by the My Little Pony uh, They're called Bronies? That's right. This is men who enjoy and support the My Little Pony phenomenon. So it's men. It's uh, it's not just it's not women. It's not young. Well, there's girls. women there. No, there's beautiful, very beautiful women there. Not that young. But, yeah. Uh, uh, you know, it's an adult thing. It's it's a combination of of unexpected uh, audiences. Yeah. Male. Yeah. Older. Yes. Not female. Yeah. Not young. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, they gather together at conventions. And I was invited to uh, do an inspirational speech on behalf of a particular pony called Pinkie Pie. Yeah. Which is a, um, a, very, a very cheerful pony. Yes. This is the, uh, she has a, a dark uh, pink mane, uh, a light pink skin. And uh, they saw something in me that they could relate to in terms of this pony. I mean, that, that, that's, that's the amazing <laughs> <Great>. thing. <laughs> I love it. They're not comparing the pony to me. They're comparing me to the pony. Do they like have like? Set, do you hear the theme song to My Little Pony playing while you're there at all? Um, well, there's a my new little... theme song. Oh, because uh, I remember the old oh, My Little Pony. I know. Yes. I do too. I do too. And that still counts. <laughs> it's stuck in my head. It, that there that it still is. counts, man. But there's a new <laughs> show called Friendship Is Magic, and uh, that's on the uh, the the new network, the Hub. Oh, there's one called the Hub. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, children's <laughs> lot networks, of networks now. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of networks, but this is a big one. And this is, you know, and this is a phenomenon. And and, and the, the folks that revived the My yeah. Little Pony series, they never, never expected. Uh, Tara Strong, yeah, for example, uh, one of the voice actresses uh, for the show. I don't think she ever expected the this level of fandom. Yeah, and, and it kind of recycles because it probably goes sometimes through the children of the people that enjoyed it the first time around. That's right. I mean, look how long Hello Kitty. Has lasted That's as a right. brand. Nineteen seventy-eight. Hello Kitty. I think Hello Hello Kitty started in nineteen seventy-eight, and uh, that, that's a good example because it's pure. It's pure. Yeah. You can empower that face of a kitten. Yeah. You, you can empower a, a, this beautiful small horses with whatever you want them to be, and uh, that's what I went into this uh, this convention with. Uh, just the spirit of openness, of also kindness, inclusion, friendship. And just try to psych people up. That's really what I, I'm here to do. Just try to pump people up. Yeah, well, it works. You're, it's working. Oh, I, you Matt, know. you don't need anyone to pump you up, Matt. <laughs> you have been pumped up. <laughs> yeah. You have been pumped for years yeah, and years exactly. and years. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's for sure. Now, tell me, you were gonna were you going to be a, a diplomat in, what was a place called? Oh, jeez. Um, Bahrain. Bahrain. That's well, right. explain that story to me, because that's another one that I found fascinating. Holy smokes. I'll try to make it short and concise. I was invited by the uh, U.S. Department of State. That's like 
you know, Hillary Clinton's organization within the government to go into the Middle East as a uh, cultural attache, as a diplomat, um, and to represent the U.S. to the Middle East. And they were trying to embrace sort of uh, unusual U.S., you know, American cultural people. And uh, I was so proud and thankful that they chose me. And then it turned out like, I don't know who pulled the plug on this, but right before I was going to go over there, we had bought the plane tickets, we had the hotel booked, we were talking to our representative at uh, the, the U.S. State Department in Bahrain, Someone, I think, saw a picture of me with a bloody nose. Yeah, they saw the cover of I Get Wet, probably, and put on... That's maybe right. they were listening to Close Calls with Brick Walls, which is still one I of my wish, favorite I wish. album titles. <laughs> it's oh, a great album much. title. You know, yeah, I, you know, I, I wish <laughs> they had, had thought a little bit more than uh, through. But uh, they canceled the trip. and I remember a tear welled up. A tear welled up in my eye. I didn't let it drop. Yeah. I sucked it back up. Yeah. I also, had, uh, you know, I, I called my, my dad and talked to my, my mom and... My dad said, uh, Andrew, you know, they judged a book by its cover. And that is what happened. They saw a long-haired guy with, you know, a dirty white outfit and a very bad bloody nose. <laughs> and uh, was it, was, That was a real bloody nose, though, wasn't it, or was it not? On the, the, on the album cover. Yes, yes, it was. Yeah. No, the first one. And I want to yeah. point this out because a lot of folks, even the record label, Century Media, bless their hearts, even they did not realize that that is a painting. The uh, 2012 10th Anniversary Edition, last year. Who painted the, the painting of you here? That is an amazing man, uh, Gonzalez. Um, he, he's giving credit inside. I think I know. Would I know him by any chance? Or if no? you did, please give me uh, his proper email, because I've been trying to reach out to him for the last uh, two years. Um, but that is a, a great photo originally taken by Roe Etheridge, who lives uh, or did live in Brooklyn. And then uh, we had it painted, you know, because I, I wanted to have uh, the same cover, but, you know, not quite the same cover. Yeah. Well, it works out. It, it worked out really cool. It looks great. Oh, thank you, man. Tell me about the show that you were doing. You were doing a bunch of different things with Cartoon Network, some live action stuff. And then there was Destroy, Build, Destroy. That's right. Which almost, when you think about what you were talking about when you were 17, doing your kind of sculptor, performing arts, Destroy, it almost takes that, I mean... Takes back on that same kind of personality. That, that wait, tell me, was that something? Was that your idea to begin with? Did they come to you? They came to me, but I will say this, Matt, and I can tell by your energy and your excitement about this that uh, there had never been a show that involved young people. And I'm when I when I say young people, I mean people under the age of 14, 13, 12, and explosions. No one had ever made a show like that. Maybe you see kids with uh, you know crazy science experiments. Maybe some version of Mr. Wizard or, uh, you know, Mythbusters, of course. But no one had made a, a game show like uh, Double Dare, for example, or Fun House. These are the shows that uh, I grew up watching. And to combine that with really high-powered explosives, this is Destroy, Build, Destroy. And I was the host. It's, it's cool, though. You know, I'm sure that probably a lot of the networks, before there were as many cable channels and digital channels as there are now. Right. The other networks were probably afraid because, you know, they'd heard stories of kids blowing up their hands with M80s. You're actually... You're having a bottle rocket, you know. Ted Turner. Take out an eye, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Take your eye out, look around, and then put it back in because it's Ted Turner's Cartoon Network. Yeah. I, um... So did you go to uh, down to Atlanta to do it or did you do it here? We, no, we filmed it in, in, uh, outside of L.A., actually. It was... Uh, well, you can depend on the weather there. That's a good thing. That's true. That's uh, <laughs> we, we, we were filming on a movie ranch because you need that wide expanse of space. You need like 100 acres. It was not the Spawn Ranch, though, right? The Manson no. family Spawn Ranch? <laughs> no. Okay. No. Not, no. It was a Montecito. <laughs> uh, no. You, uh, you want that space because you really are blowing stuff up. And, and when I went in as the host, I thought, oh, you know, it'll be a... I guess I thought like a firecracker like a, a sparkler or something like that. These are mushroom clouds. These explosions are, are truly So they're like huge. miniature atomic bombs, That's basically. Right. That is right. That is right. Enough gasoline, enough C4, enough dynamite, you're going to get a big explosion. And that's what we did. You what know? kind of insurance do you have to get on a show like that? Because, you know, you have to get certain kind of insurance be on a show that you won't get injured or get sick. You know, this was there, the, the, the I'm first. I'm curious about that. I never had worked on any project with uh, with all the touring I've done, all the, the, the rock concert performances, all the TV. The first ever time I had eyelash insurance. Really? 
Yeah, because I do have very beautiful eyelashes. I would do that. I mean, I think it's important. Who yeah. actually insured it? Do you remember? Lloyd's. Wow. That's yeah, great. Lloyd's of London. Yep. Eyelash. It was only one dollar, but hey, you know, one one dollar is one dollar. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's uh, well, that's you know, pretty inexpensive insurance, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> well, I paid a thousand dollars for it, but I could still buy a pack of gum well, with that. Uh, if, if, if I had to cash it, and I never had to cash it in. I never oh, had yeah. to cash it in. So Lloyd's won, and that's their game. They're gamblers. Yeah, it was fun. You know, uh, when you and I were doing the uh, showdown, we, we you and I were doing uh, one of the years we did it together, the Direct TV. Yes. Um, for uh, you know, for uh, Matt, that was a huge year. That was the year I met Lee Scratch Perry. Yeah, I met Iggy Pop finally. Yeah, I met uh, Ron Ashton, bless his heart, from the Stooges before course. he passed away, and then Scott, of course, and uh, who else? Um, well, we did, I guess, a couple of interviews. They are hosting in the live atmosphere, and we talked about Scott Walker. Yeah, who is going strong. Yeah, he's got a new record out. Bish Bash. Bish Bash, yeah. Oh, Bish Bosh. Bish Bosh, I think Bish Bosh, yeah. I love those first uh, four Scott Walker I like albums. it when he sings nicely, but you know what? What I thought about him, because mm. I always thought like if I got to meet him, and I've had dreams about this, I would tell him, would you just sing? You know, he did that. He did it. Yeah, that's why. He did it. The, you know, the you albums just, are there. You saw the 30th Century Man documentary, right? Did yeah, you? it's very intense and... You know, the part I, where he's pounding meat for percussion, <laughs> pounding a side of beef for percussion. I love him. You can't, you know. That's good protein, good bacteria. <laughs> yes, it is. That's probably helped his digestion. But I love those first four Scott records and a bunch of the Walker Brothers stuff he did, but too. But he did it. He did it. He did it. That's what yeah. I thought. Like, you know, when you are a, an artist, if you make a painting, yeah. if you make a movie, if you make an album, it's there. It's right. there. You don't have to redo it. It exists there. Right. So, I mean, the fact is that he, when he did different things, like drifts. Yeah, he's I trying, mean, drift, you know, not drifts. Drift. Or, you know. Tilt. N- tilt. Night flight. You know, night flights with uh, with the Walker Brothers, which That's took right. it in a different direction completely. That's when he was first, you know, going very wide. But the idea is you don't need to maintain any idea. It, yeah. unless, if you don't want to. You know what I mean? Yeah. You can You can branch out. And that the work that you did, it lives, and this is a are great you listening thing. to? Have you listened to the new album at all? Bish Bosh, I'm, 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 you know, completely intimidated by it. Yeah, watching him, you know, conduct the orchestra to bring them. Was to he the wearing point, a baseball hat? Yeah, he was wearing the baseball <laughs> hat. But you know, he's he's getting them, you know, to do like what's actually like the most painful sounding notes. I mean, he's working these people well, that, in an incredible know. way. It's like it's 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 something else. But how wild was it seeing Sting? of all people, cry in the documentary, listening to a Scott Walker record. You know, he worked up those, he mustered those tears. <laughs> yeah. In between the Jaguar advertisements. That he was <laughs> there you doing. go. And I have t- a lot of issues with Sting. He's an amazing singer. He really is. Uh, you know, uh, what's it? Someone that I used to know. Oh, that's, yeah, that's right. That's it. I heard that song. I Gautier. said, oh, like- real name is Wally, by the way, just what? in case you wondered. <laughs> that's it is. a great name. It is. That's Why didn't he just go Wally? Wally. Wall-E, like the movie. Oh, that's a great name. There you go. He's got a great voice, but I yeah. thought when I first heard it, like, oh, wow, Sting. Oh, here he does it Sting again. Sting and Peter Gabriel kind of a hybrid there. Well, you know? well, Peter Gabriel, if you use that slap back delay, you need that slap back delay, that yes. instantaneous delay that also, uh, what's his name, Peter Gabriel and uh, the other guy from Genesis, Phil Collins. Yeah. Yeah, and Ozzy. They always use that slap back delay because they don't want to double their voice. You yeah. Know, they don't want to sing it twice. So just put a slap on. Well, they're on taking it. they're taking a lesson from the Frank Sinatra book. That's the best right. story is they would people go to Frank. Frank, how about another take? He goes, you got my take, and then nobody would you tell Frank. Can you got imagine my take? Try to tell Frank Sinatra he's got to do another take. You know he put was a like, slap back on it. Put a slap back. One of my fa- friend's favorite stories that he heard from a, a guy that he knows out in from a bar in in Brooklyn mm-hmm. uh, or Queens years <laughs> wait, wait ago a wait that's a very big difference man. I know no but I'm talking about back in, in I'm talking about like the late 1960s Frank oh, okay, okay. Frank wanted to use the toilet he wanted to go number 2 wanted to take a dump right right and there was a guy in there on the toilet. So one of Frank's guys came in and literally dragged the guy off the toilet and pulled him out of the bathroom and said, Frank needs to use this now. I have human feces hanging out of my... Buttocks. Yes. Well said. <laughs> and you are now removing me. And now I'm I scooping it up. Can you imagine getting pulled the off smell, the toilet? The, the odor. Yeah. 
the odor. I mean, but, I wouldn't want to go in there if I was Frank. I mean, he could have left the trail. He probably had diarrhea. Yeah. He must have had diarrhea. Because <laughs> that, that pressure to go, you can you can manage that, you know, yeah. if it's solid. Yeah. If it's liquid, no. There's no way. No. You can't do anything. <laughs> That's unbelievable. <laughs> but it's true. Those Frank stories are great. Never, no second takes. And he would do the same thing when he was shooting the movies, too, a lot of times. Well, he's hardcore. Yeah. He was hardcore. And, and his composure, his focus... You know, beyond being an artist, that's what I think you're you're tapping into. His focus as a human being, yeah, is uh, it's inspiring. It yeah. really is, and uh, he did not have an easy time. That's what I always say. Like, you don't want to have a an easy life. You want to have an intense life. Yes, you want your life to be jam packed. Frank's life was intense. And Matt, your life's been intense. So, uh, oh yes, it has been. That's right, <laughs> and that's what we you signed know, up for. We yeah, didn't we sign did. up like. Oh, I just want to like rest in a bed with soft, you know, sheets and silk. That's fine. There's certain times for that. But, yeah. You know, you want your life to be a life. And yes. uh, he lived it. Oh, he absolutely did. And so did you. And, you know, <laughs> we and so have you, right? We all have. Well, I'm working on it. We've, uh, we just, it's been an interesting ride. <laughs> Frank, um, one of the other things that Frank did, which I know you, you know, which is a classic thing, was, you know, he, because of Kennedy hanging out with, you know, the whole uh, rap pack and yes. everybody sleeping with Angie Dickinson and, you know, and Marilyn and whoever else. That's but, intense. But uh, the story was that, remember, that he expected Robert Kennedy after he won the election to come to his place in Palm Springs and celebrate. Instead, he went to Bing Crosby's. <laughs> you know, Frank was so pissed off that he, speaking of C4 and dynamite and destroy, build, destroy, he went and blew up the landing pad for the helicopter. He dynamited it. He was so pissed off at Robert, at John F. Kennedy. Well, supposedly, <laughs> he didn't do it himself. Yeah. Know. Oh, he just had someone else do it. Yeah. Yeah, I can't imagine that he went out there and put the dynamite himself. You know, I, I, of course, I never got to meet him. Uh, my parents saw him perform, uh, which they're very proud of, and I, I'm proud to have had parents that saw Frank Sinatra perform. That's a big deal. You know, because some folks... Matt, at this point, there are parents out there who will never even know about Frank Sinatra. Yeah. That are so young that the idea of them ever seeing Frank Sinatra is, uh, you know, it's it's impossible. So uh, the fact that he blew something up, I mean, uh, it's all hearsay when it gets really bad, and uh, it's all legendary when it gets really, really good. Yeah. I think that kind of rides the gamut of being good and bad, because it's kind of cool, you know, the reaction of- Right. You can blow it off if if it's too insulting or too, you know, embarrassing or, or, you know, uh, if it's criminal behavior, you can just say like, oh, that wasn't me. But if it's really exciting- Yeah. Or criminal behavior, you can say, like, that was me. Because that's badass. That is badass. It really does depend on that. (laughs) This is the Hivecast with Matt Pinfield. Now, there were some other shows you were working on as well um, that I I was told you were going to do some other things for Cartoon Network. Yes, originally it was going to be Tim and Andrew. Awesome show. Great job. This was an adult swim show. Uh, before Eric got in the picture, called Tim and Andrew, awesome show, great job. That's Tim Heidecker, yeah, who uh, is actually from right around here. He's from Allentown, Pennsylvania, and uh, I grew up uh, in Michigan. And then uh, found out about Tim when I was probably, geez, I don't know, 14, 13, 14 yes. years old, as a, you know, a, a sleepaway camp. It was like a summer camp where you actually stay in a cabin. Uh, no, no tents, but uh, you stay in a cabin. And uh, I thought this guy's funny, and uh, he's you know cool, and he's got nice blonde hair and beautiful blue eyes, and he got a little bloated. And uh, once he was bloated, I said, I can't do this. And um, you know that's kind of I guess the story speaks for itself. That uh, he he signed up with this guy Eric. And uh, Eric also got bloated, and then uh, Tim also <laughs> did a, mo- a movie called. Uh, the, the comedy, which is not a funny movie. It's very depressing. Did you see that? No. Yeah, you don't want to. It's just, it's a very good movie. It's almost too good. It's a misleading title, you know? It is. It's almost too good because it's not a fun story. You. you know, I, I got to say this, Andrew. It's like when someone tells you, you know, years ago, people were like, you know, Pink Flamingos, the first John Waters film, Divine, eating the uh, dog do. Yes. Um, and, you know, things around that period of time that were just crazy films. I remember a guy from that went to Columbia that was a friend of ours who went, oh, you guys got to go see, you want to see a crazy movie, you got to see Salo, the Pasolini film oh, from yeah, Italy. Well, 120 Days of Sodom. Yeah, that's, that's one of right. the most disturbing, if not the most disturbing the movie ever made. 
Yeah, the eyeball cutting, the uh, the torture scenes. Yeah, yeah. It's... Did you read the book? 120 I have, Days of Sodom? I, uh, no, I have not read the book, but I know of the book. That's yeah. a good book. But, it, I mean, that movie was, he was murdered. He was murdered right after it came out. Well, he, you know. And speaking and, of Scott Walker, he wrote a song about it. That's right. <laughs> Farmer in the City. <laughs> there you that go. That is the first song off of, <clears throat> off of Tilt, Farmer in the City, probably one of Scott Walker's greatest songs, especially of, of the songs that he wrote. Yeah. Uh, Scott Four, yeah. his fourth solo album is all his own writing. Yeah. Which he had not done. On uh, three, two, and one. Yeah, I mean, he did. A, I mean, he he did some of his own stuff, That's but true, a lot right. of it was, you know, there was Tim Harden songs, Jacques Brel songs. That's right. And, you know, great Jacques yeah. Brel material, and then uh, great Jimmy Webb. Yes, Jimmy Webb songs. But uh, yeah, the first song on Tilt, uh, "Farmer in the City." That's an intense tune. That's the kind of song you sit yourself down. You turn everything off. You, you get your cell phone away from you. Yes, you get the computer away from you. And then you put that song on as loud as your speakers will go without distortion, and you just fathom. You just fathom. And the idea that it's actually about Pasolini, that's intense. You don't need to even know that. Yeah. That's the beauty of it. You know, it's a great tribute because he was a tortured man unto himself, and Pasolini made a ton of films. Salo was the most disturbing <laughs> at the end, the one we talked about. Good for him. Um, but but before that, he did a bunch of films that were considered, uh, you know, very classic Italian films. Right, for sure, for like sure. The Gospel According to St. Matthew and things like that. And that's a, it's almost a pig genre. Pigsty, I forgot what the Italian translation was for pigsty. That's an aesthetic <laughs> genre, but yeah. he really uh, stepped things up when he tapped into the Marquis de Sade. Yeah. Uh, I really recommend 120 Days of Sodom for anybody who's never read that book. It's it's intense. Yeah, but you don't recommend the movie necessarily to people. So no, I would recommend it. the movie. But that that's more upsetting. You know, when you're reading something very disturbing, you get to choose how to visualize that. Yes. When you're watching a movie, the images are there. Yeah. There's no uh, choice. Yeah. With that uh, that that scene, you know, it's upset. I would never tell my mom to watch that movie. I would yeah. tell my mom to read the book. You know, when I saw that movie, you got to remember I was probably like 18 because, like I said, it was just like our friend first year of college. So we thought we were going to see something funny like a John Waters movie. Yes. I walked out of the theater and I was just like, I was dumbfounded, like I was kicked in the head. And what was incredible was how many people left in the middle of the film. Oh, I'm sure. It's like you a know. taste in your mouth or something, right? Yeah. It's like oh. a, a yes. bad taste. It's really bad taste. That's why they call it bad taste. Not because it <laughs> no. tastes bad, because it lingers. It lingers. Yeah. The flavor lingers. And that's how you know you've really confronted good work. If it stays in your mouth. Now, have you, well, the first time you saw one of your songs used for like for a product before now, of course, everybody does that because it's one of the ways that they make money off of uh, songs and they deserve to. But when I saw Don't Stop Living in the Red in the uh, Target ad, it was like the perfect <laughs> song for it years Matt, ago. you are on top of it as <laughs> always. But I mean, I remember that and going, wow, look, what, that's Andrew WK and hearing it in the in the commercial. It is a great company uh, out of, you know, Minnesota, of course. So it's a Midwest company. It's an American company. Um, I haven't agreed with all their policies, but it's a great store. Um, I've never bought anything from Target that I can remember, but probably indirectly I have used products from Target. I think a few of my friends maybe uh, had an extension cord they bought from there. And, you know. Not your mom and dad or (laughs) anything like that? No, we didn't go to Target. We didn't go to Target. Uh, we would go to like TJ Maxx, to Sears, to Meyer. If you're running yeah. you know, real deep, that's yeah. that Meyer. That's Midwest. But the idea of having a song provide the soundtrack for an advertisement that to me was like the greatest thing. And uh, a lot of my friends, and it said, made sense with the red with the red color and the red logo for that's Target. That's true. That's true. That you know, obviously, that's where like the white stripes got their thing. The the red and white is from Target, and the red and white is is is. You cannot deny that. And I mostly liked the idea of advertisements and music and just thinking uh, about how to um, kind of proliferate and insult my own creation in a good way. Because sometimes insults are good, you know, and that's what a lot of artists don't realize. They're so proud, as they should be, they don't have a lot of humility. You got to kind of tear yourself down to build yourself back up. And you always want to have that that starting point. I'm trying to perpetually humiliate myself. and You know, I like, I, I think it's doing that and, and giving your song to an advertisement or, or do, you know, if it makes sense, it's, it's fine. I think people are doing it all the time now and it's helping artists 
get their music well, out there. Days, yeah, and on sure. Colbert, I was dying that time that the Black Keys <laughs> and Vampire Weekend were fighting over like kind of the uh, product the uh, product placement, song placement That's thing. good. That's that was good. hilarious. For sure. Because I remember when we did that, like, <laughs> yeah. I, I think, like, Michael Stipe. I'll get a good story for you, Matt. Michael Stipe used to be in a band called A Boat Of. And this was a uh, an experimental band that he was in in Georgia, where he first came from, that Tom Smith... The vocalist who now sings for "To Live and Shave in L.A.," which, by the way, is one of your one of your projects. And by, that's right. I died when I heard that. Oh. So, do you guys do a cover of Wang Chung and go <laughs> "Live and Shave in L.A."? You do any of that? Like, that was a very good Tom Smith yeah. impersonation. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> like it's... Tom, Tom, who's this amazing singer? If you again, "To Live and Shave in L.A.," which is named after a Ron Jeremy movie. Really? Is it, was it? It is. It was. It was. Because uh, I remember, you know, there was like in and out in Beverly Hills, you know, instead of down and out. And, you know, there are all those, you know, Muffy, the vampire layer yes. and all that other stuff. There's classic. a lot of good movies I mean, yeah. me made over there. And yeah. uh, it's a great legacy. And, and pretty much all we have here in New York is, you know, Al Goldstein and maybe Penthouse and But do you remember when Al Bob Goldstein Guccione. used to run those? Uh, he, he used to have this public access TV show. Yes. But, that was amazing. And Robin. Robin yeah. Bird. Yeah. And the best was with, with, with Al Goldstein was when he hated somebody. It was his, <laughs> fuck you, flipped them the bird this week, and he'd have the picture of them, and he'd put the toilet seat over their head. Yes. <laughs> Super, it was so classic. Like, some guy would piss him <laughs> off in, like, a cafeteria, or, like, you know, or in some, like, bodega, and he'd go, this is for the guy on 38th Street. Fuck you, you were a dick to me. <laughs> it was like the, the, the back of the village voice, like, I saw you on the L train. On May 3rd, you know, it's like 1983, Al Goldstein, he has his own outlet, his own paper, and his own TV show. Yeah, because the Screw was his paper, right? Uh, Screw, you know, it's still there. It's yeah. still out. Yeah. Wow. You know, it's it's a bit different than the golden age, but these are, you know, uh, people that have paved the way for uh, humanity, and <laughs> yeah. you don't have to like them. That's the thing. People say like, oh, I don't like Al Goldstein. I don't like, you know, Larry Flint. I don't like porn. You don't have to like it. You're already benefiting from the atmosphere that this is championed. So just, you know, be grateful. You don't have to like it. You don't have to proclaim yourself a fan or a user of their contributions. You're already benefiting from what they've done. And some doors that have been opened. That's right. Now, the Al Goldstein, I wish I could find, I wish there was a DVD collection <laughs> or a YouTube online of his <laughs> fuck you segments. <laughs> were, I'm there that, right? should be. There should be. And if there has not yet been an Al Goldstein documentary, like a proper documentary made, there shall be, you know, because he is, uh, you know, he's a master. So to live and shave in LA, I mean, not, you, I mean I, I've got oh, Wang, yeah, yeah, Wang yeah. Chung playing in the back <laughs> of my head here. No, I'm sorry. Uh, so, so, so Tom Smith, the singer of To Live and Shave in LA, now is he because there's a Tom Smith too from England? You know that, right? It's from not editors. that one. Okay, no, no. This go. guy's from Valdosta, uh, Georgia. Okay, there you go. Um, Macon, Georgia. I mean, real deep, 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 deep south. And he grew up with uh, Michael Stipe. A boat of that's Tell right me about the man. So that's- Bef- yeah, before Michael Stipe did REM, he was in uh, this experimental band, as uh, many folks have done. You know, they've they've done crazy stuff, and then they kind of. I don't know, find their own calling. Some would say the straight and narrow, whatever, you know, they, they, the crooked and narrow, the, the path that they were meant to take. But before he found that path, he was in this crazy band called Boat Of. And I always said, if I ever get the chance, me personally, Andrew, to meet Michael Stipe, I'm going to ask him about Boat Of. And I did. And he was mad. Was he really mad? Uh, he was not happy. Why? I mean, everybody I has know. a history. I think he, I, th- I think he thought I was trying to mess with him or something. And you know, my wife Sherry, she should be here because she, she was there when I asked him. She said, "Well, you, you said it a little bit strong, and you kind of gave him this look." And I said, "If someone asked me about my first endeavor into anything, I would be so thankful. I would laugh. That would be so special because who else knows about it? You know, who would even bring that up? It's like someone knowing your." the name of your imaginary friend or something. But he was not happy. And I've seen him a few times like at the airport and and different parties and things like that since. And uh, I just give him space. I think he, it was at a Peaches concert actually that I saw him uh, and asked him about Bodov. But I felt good. I felt proud. Was she doing the Father Fucker album that night? No, it was uh, Jesus Christ Superstar. Okay. It was Peaches Christ Superstar. An incredible, incredible performance. Did she do King Herod's song? She did. She did the entire, entire album with uh, Chili Gonzalez on piano. Hearing her do I Don't Know How to Love Him would be a special moment. 
You know? One of the great, you know, that's Andrew Lloyd Webber's greatest achievement that he did very early on. Beyond Cats, yeah, there's great melodies on Cats. Kate Herod's song was great. That's man. an amazing album. If, if, if you never, uh, <laughs> if you never listened to the uh, Jesus Christ Superstore original London cast recording, that's yeah, that's got, the one with the with the brown album cover, right? Yes, yeah. that's right. Ian Gillen, yeah, from Deep Purple is Jesus, and the guy Mike Diabo is um was in there who was the second singer in Manfred Man. Okay, uh, yep, 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 yep. Yeah, and, <laughs> I know and, that's uh, way out there, but still, Murray Head. Yeah, and Murray Saint Head. Saint Sojo. Yeah, Mary, you know that too? yeah, he wrote that song that it was covered by Roger Daltrey. That's right. That's he also right. Uh, did a song called uh, I think "Treat Her Right" years before. That's right. That's right. So and, he's uh, a Judas, and then he did "One Night in Bangkok," which I wasn't a big <laughs> fan of. I gotta well, say, you know, he, yeah. he he's got an amazing voice, and yeah. uh, you can really <laughs> hear it pushed to the limit in the original London cast recording. And also, before we go, uh, Paul Gad, you know who Paul? Yeah, Gad? Yeah, Paul Gad. Okay, Paul Gad is also in the original now, London cast. Now is Paul Gad Gary Glitter? Is that it? is right. Yeah. It's un- he's on the original cast version? He is, he is, and that's why I was when deleted. When I saw Paul Gadd, I went, wow, oh, is that why you said- Well, he's credited as Paul Raven, I think, Paul Raven, uh, yeah. but he plays a couple of the but priests. But his real name was Paul Gadd back then. That's know? right, yeah. And, and then he uh, became Gary Glitter. One of the greatest singers of all time, for sure. It's a shame that, um, you know, all of his crazy behavior- uh, Yeah, I can't comment on, on, yeah. on that. Yeah, but I do love those records, though. I mean, you know, the music holds up, and you're yeah. you're allowed to enjoy that because there's a lot of other people like Mike Leander. Mike Ma- Leander, who was his co-songwriter, who was his producer. And then, who he produced the Jesus Christ Superstar recordings. Right. He's a, he was a great producer, yes. and he uh, co-wrote all those songs. And was, you know, he also ran that thing, the Glitter Band, which was more of a pop thing, but backed him. Well, no, no, the band the band counts because that, yeah, that, 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 the, the special sound, that bass, those the flat The bass drums. drum and those drums that are flat and That's sound right. like they're like... Echoing off the wall. <laughs> they plus, probably were. Do you remember the first time you heard the guitar parts on Rock and Roll Part 2? Because yes. you were like, it sounded like it was so weird and from outer space. It was it was at baseball games. Yeah. At a Tigers game. It just sounds so cool because it just sounds like nothing else. You know, it really does. I remember it very clearly because I wanted to know what that was. I wanted to be able to go back to that sound. And when you're at a baseball game or you know, watching TV or whatever it is, sometimes that music that's yeah. playing in the background, it passes by you. I mean, he was a guy who, that, that killed his career because he used to be like, you know, on the Christmas circuit. He could play everywhere in Europe and England and live off that money for an entire year because he was a beloved yes. 70s rock star there until, you know, they found the, you know, the photographs on his computer. So, and the rest of it is all history. We won't go in that direction. But I will say, you're not the only one who supported Gary Glitter musically lately and has said... You know what? Those records are great. I'm, I'm just I'm looking at it all by the music. Also, the Black Keys have said that recently, and that, that was such a big influence on El Camino. Shuffle beat. You know, Gold yeah. on the ceiling. Gold on the ceiling has a shuffle. Oh beat. yeah, and even you know Howling for You on the album before and on Brothers go. was the same thing. There you I gotta go. ask you the whole thing with this Steve Mike, your executive producer. There was a, this controversial thing that was going on in English papers for a little while in the Guardian. What was that about? Andrew, I mean, oh. I mean, do you not want to go there? Because you know, we don't have to. <laughs> I thought we were going down a bad, uh, like a dark road. <laughs> yeah. Now we've really gone down a dark road. But I just felt like, I mean, listen, well, Matt, you know, for you, what can I say? It, 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 there are people that I've worked with who, from the very beginning, asked, requested, or demanded, I would say, to not have their names printed, you know, as, in the credits. But the funny thing is, like, credits, they go beyond the back of an album. They go beyond the, the text on uh, the internet. They go beyond just words. Credit actually, and I didn't realize this when I, you know, started doing this, credit actually goes into your whole story as a person. Like all these people we've been talking about, you know, there's a lot of credits there, and they're actually people. These people have chosen to not be named, and they asked that they had a made-up name, so we gave them that name. That's what that was about. That's it. Yeah. That's all it is, and I'd rather not. Yeah, well, you leave it at that then, man. Thank you. No. Thank you. Because right. we have so much fun talking about everything else anyway. Yes, yes. I mean, we always do. Yes, we do. Now, speaking of that of that, that stuff, like that Gary Glitter stuff, and even, you know, like old T-Rex <laughs> and Slade, was there any of that in when you first did I Get Wet? Because the song structure kind of thing reminded me of those great, you know, 70s songs, like the sweet songs. You know what I mean? The things that were... Did you like that stuff? Wig, wham, bam. Well, you know, that's a bit earlier for me. I was born in 1979. So yeah, so that stuff was already come and gone by it, the time you were it born. It had, it had, it had. I was I was just a young person who was tapped into that same energy, who wanted to achieve that same place, and who had learned, you know, now especially, 
that there's a lot of folks that want to get to this feeling. This counts. This feeling counts. It's not trivial. It's not stupid. It's not meaningless. The feeling of excitement and energy, like Matt, you know, it yeah. counts. And if you yeah. got to use a rock song to get there or use a, you know, any experience to get there, it all counts. You're trying to get to a, to a place of euphoria. Yeah, which is great. I mean, well, and speaking you. of songs like that, you know, and bringing up that energy. Because uh, we, I mentioned Sweet, I thought of Ballroom Blitz the other day. When that drum beat starts, <laughs> which is uh, <laughs> taken from That's the shuffle, too. It is. Sandy Nelson, Let There Be Drums. Not to be confused with ACDC, Let There Be Rock, but coming from the same energy level there. But, Andrew, this is it was so great to have you here. What's coming up? I hear there's a new album and a tour in the, uh, in the works. Um, I'm writing a book. That's great. What's, yeah, well, thank you very much. And what's it called? Um, or did you come it's up called, with it? Yes, no, thank you. It's called The Party Bible and yeah. Simon and Schuster yeah. on 6th Avenue yeah. has taken it upon themselves yes. to publish this book. It's the, you know, it's the Bible of partying. And it's not a, a how-to manual. It's just everything. It's everything I could possibly think to write about. And that's how I'm writing it. I'm yeah. making lists of every single thing I can think of. And then, you know, talking and writing about and that. And checking it twice, too, I'm that's sure. Right. Well, <laughs> that's a good point, actually. I, I wasn't checking it twice. I probably should proofread it before we send it over. Well, there's galleys, you know, they'll come out from the thing. But I think that's great, the party Bible. I, I definitely, party Bible. Yeah, I could contribute a few stories. Thank you, Matt. Because <laughs> you're hardcore. Have been at times. Matt, you know about Scooter? You know about the band Scooter, that German group? Yeah, what about what about Scooter? Oh, they're amazing. They're hardcore. I, I thought, what else are you listening to? What do you like right now? I listen else? to a lot of Scooter. I listen to a lot of rap. Uh, I listen to a lot of my own music, uh, a lot of you know classical and yeah. like Bach. I can't really listen to any other classical that isn't um, intense. And and you know this is the thing that people don't realize with classical music. Some of it was made to be intense and enthralling, and some of it was made to be really bad. Yeah, uh, meaning like it was meant to be passive. It was meant to be. Sort of uh, wallpaper. That's right. As opposed to like some of the stuff that is so driving. Which, that's right. You know, that's right. And Bach is yeah. driving. Bach is very driving. But there's good melodies all the way through, like Samuel Barber. Yeah. The last song of the Elephant Man movie um, is a Samuel Barber song, and that is about as intense as it gets. Uh, so you know, when you're listening to classical, it's easy to get caught up in the instrumentation. You know, like oh, it's 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 a bunch of strings and it's this orchestra. Just think of it as a melody, you know, as like if you're whistling or as rhythm, if it has that kind of rhythm, you know, bulk is very pulsing. <laughs> yeah. But uh, don't get caught up like jazz. People can say like, oh, jazz, it's that ding, 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 ding. Try to approach everything as just an experience. It's, it's texture that's laid out in front of you to try to make you feel some way. Yeah. Andrew, I wanted to just say how great it was to have you come in today. Oh, thank you, man. Loved hanging with you again. Always. Always good to talk to you. Always. We can always find something cool to talk about. For sure. And uh, so, quick question, tour coming up maybe in the, in the spring? What are you? Yes, we're trying to tour this year because I'm trying to record a new album. Um, in order to do that, I actually have to record, and that's uh, that's been a little bit harder. But um, I, I would like to be back on the road with a full tour in 2013, and the book otherwise is my main project, The Party Bible. You can actually tweet me with the hashtag the Party Bible, T H E P A R T Y B I B L E, and I'm just chilling. Yeah, I'm chilling in a warm chair. That's good. Well, we got to go out. I got to meet you over at Santos one night. Please, is that where you go most mostly when you're out? Or oh, I, yeah, yeah. Santos is my spot. Yeah, Santos Party House. Speaking of which, if you are in New York City on the Lower East Side, you got to go down there because that's Andrew's place. That's right. All right. Thanks so much, Andrew. Thank you, Matt. The Hivecast. <laughs> This has been the Hivecast with Matt Pinfield. For all things music, news, interviews, live events, and more, go to mtvhive.com.